Well, if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to the book of Judges, chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. Let us hear the word of God. Uh, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors, who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. For they refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. Well, today we come to that point in our story uh, known as the period of the Judges, uh, from about 1200 to about 1000 B.C. And it begins with the death of Joshua and ends with the coronation of Saul as their first king. Now, a judge was just not somebody who could throw you into jail. They were also the political and the spiritual leaders of the tribes. And it is a dark time in Israel's history. In fact, the book of Judges is full of violence and bloodshed. The nation seems to be on this spiritual roller coaster, a, a cycle of spiritual growth followed by decline and backsliding. In fact, the last uh, words in this book ends like this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Why was this? How was it they started off so well and ended so badly? Well, one of the reasons was that Joshua was a great leader, but he failed at the number one job of any leader, and that is reproducing himself, raising up a new leader. He failed to train a new leader just as Moses had done for him. See, the most important thing that you and I do is to invest in that next generation of leadership. So the 12 tribes began to fall apart. They were scattered. There was no unity. And this made them vulnerable uh, to attack from the Midianites in the east and from the Philistines in the west. But not only did it create political and, and military chaos, it also created spiritual and moral chaos as well. Isn't that interesting how those things all go together? And in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the cycle looked like this. Sin followed by oppression, followed by repentance, followed by deliverance. Things would go well for a while for Israel. But when things go well, what tends to happen? We tend to drop our guard, don't we? We relax and we pay less attention to our walk with the Lord. We begin to compromise our values, and it's rarely intentional. We just get busy with life. Oh, we get busy uh, making money and, and, and raising the kids and paying the bills and, and going to soccer games, and then just kind of slowly 
we began to drift away. And most importantly, the faith is not passed on to that next generation. Again, the book of Judges says, After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. You see how really, really important it is that we pass on our faith to that next generation? And Israel failed to do this, and so uh, they, the spiritual life of the nation goes into this, into this tailspin. And when that happened, it began to infect all of the other areas of their spiritual life as well. Oppression would follow. Neighboring armies would invade, and there was no leader to rally the tribes and, and to pull things together. You know, it's interesting how when things become unbearable, we, we begin to cry out to the Lord for help. And that would be followed by repentance. And, and so their hardship would trigger this wake-up call and this community-wide repentance. You know, whenever difficulties begin to arise, people begin to focus on those things that are, that are really important. Finally, God would send a leader to lead them out of their apostasy and back to the Lord again. You see, what the book of, of Judges teaches us is, is the importance of leadership. And, and the first great uh, leader is, is a woman named Deborah. It seems that Israel had been oppressed by King uh, Jobin from Hazor, north of the Sea of Galilee. And his army has some 900 iron chariots. You see, chariot warfare was introduced into that region in 1275 when Egypt and the Hittite Empire fought the biggest chariot battle ever recorded in history at Kadesh. You see, Israel didn't have this new technology, and so they were helpless to fight against them. And so for 20 years, they were cruelly oppressed. Well, Deborah holds court under a palm tree uh, near the village of Bethel. And one day the Lord speaks to her. And she sends this message to this guy named Barak. And he comes to her court and she says this to him. The Lord says, take 10,000 troops to Mount Tabor. And I will bring Jobin's general Sisera there. And I will give him into your hands. So Deborah has these amazing leadership gifts. First of all, she has the ability to listen to the Lord. And I don't know about you, but, but that's the kind of leader that I want to listen to, somebody who is, who is listening to God on a regular basis. And then secondly, she's not afraid to share the word of the Lord with other people. Well, Barak decides that he will go, but there's just one condition. He wants Deborah to go with him. You see, he recognizes that God's anointing is upon this woman and, and he's not going to defeat the enemy without some kind of supernatural help. It's just too big of an understanding, uh, of an undertaking. And so she agrees to go. But she tells him this, the honor will not be yours for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. And so together, they lead the army down from Mount Tabor. Sisera's army is thrown into a panic, and they begin to run. Sisera dismounts from his chariot, and, and he's fleeing on foot, and he, he goes to the tent of, of Heber, the Kenite, because they had this political alliance. 
Now Heber is not home, but his wife Jael is, and so she invites him in, and she offers to hide him. She says, come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. But he should have been terrified. You see, he's exhausted, and he's thirsty, and she gives him some milk to drink, and she covers him with a blanket, and he falls asleep. And once he has fallen asleep, she takes a hammer and a tent peg, and she drives it through his skull. Now that is quite a woman. And I told you, the stories are violent. This is not PG stuff. Well, Barak is hot on, uh, on, on his enemy's trail, and soon he arrives at their encampment, and she says, come on in, and I'll show you the man that's been giving you issues. Come in, and I'll show you the man that you're looking for. And she shows him his outstretched body. And you know, I'll bet that any man thought twice Whenever J.L. offered them a glass of milk to drink, you know? Maybe not. Maybe not. See, these two uh, female leaders are immortalized in this ancient song that we find in chapter 5 of Judges. It's called the Song of Deborah. And scholars believe this song was written about uh, 1125 B.C., making it one of the oldest recorded songs in history. You see, God raises up a, a leader every time Israel needed help. Folks, leadership is so critical to any movement of God, to any institution. And we believe here at Anderson Hills that if we're going to be successful in our mission, that we have to be about the business of raising up new and young leaders. That has to be our number one priority. But there's something else that we learn in the book of Judges, and it's this. That the leaders that God raised up are flawed leaders. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, it's called the faith chapter. And in verse 34, the author mentions some of the judges. And here's what he says. Listen, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon or Barak or Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the, fiery, the fire of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Did you hear that? He turned their weaknesses into what? Into strengths. You know, these leaders of judges, they are embarrassingly flawed. I mean, God, why, why would God choose uh, these people? Samson is this prideful playboy. Gideon saf suffered from a horrible lack of self-confidence. And, and Jephthah, he's the son of a prostitute. But the truth is, is that all of us have flaws, all of us have weaknesses. We, we, we have um, physical weaknesses. We have emotional weaknesses. We have intellectual weaknesses. I mean, look, look at the story of Gideon. We find it in chapter 6. It says this. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belongs to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now, listen to what he says, But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. But the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? See here we see the cycle repeated all over again. The Midianites oppressed Israel along with the Amalekites and and other neighboring people. They invade Israel. They encamp on their land. They ruin their crops. They steal whatever they can. So the Israelites, they're left with nothing. Their oppression is so bad that they are in hiding. And that's where we find Gideon as this story opens. He's in hiding. He's threshing wheat of all places in a wine press. But he's hoping to remain hidden. And this angel greets Gideon and he says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now Gideon has a really hard time seeing himself as any kind of a warrior. Bad things are happening to his nation. It feels like God has left them, like God has abandoned them. He's not feeling brave. And he goes on, he says, I come from an insignificant family and from an insignificant tribe. I'm a nobody. Don't you see, God? I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm a nobody. I mean, he has some real self-esteem issues, don't you think? And plus that, he has some doubts. He's hesitant and, and he's resistant to God's call upon his life. But the angel doesn't care. Go in the strength that you have and save Israel. Am I not sending you? That's still not enough for Gideon. He says, give me a sign that it really is you. You ever done that? You ever been faced with a difficult decision? You ask God, give me a sign. Give me something to to let me know whether this is you or not. Sure, we all have done that. Well, the angel instructs him to place some meat and a bread on a rock. The angel touches the food with the tip of his staff and it burns up in a fire and suddenly the the angel is gone. And Gideon seems convinced that it's a sign from God, which is a good thing because disaster is close at hand. Huge armies roll in from the east. They, They cross the Jordan River into Israel's territory and they set up camp. You see, a big battle is brewing and the odds aren't too good. Gideon has 32,000, which sounds like a big number, but until we hear that the other army has 120,000. I mean, talk about a reason to be scared. Gideon is completely outnumbered. But he's thinking to himself, you know what? I'm I'm sure that God has a plan. I'm sure God's going to take care of things, and, and God does have a plan. He says, you have too many men, Gideon. Tell everybody there who is in fear and trembling, tell them all to go home. And so 22,000 soldiers get up and leave. <laughs> He's left with 10,000 soldiers against 120,000. Yeah, great plan, God. Thanks a lot. But God's still not done. 
It says, Gideon, take all of your troops down and take them to the, a watering hole. And everybody who, who cups their hand to drink water, I want you to send them home. And everybody who, who laps up the water like a dog, I, I want them to stay. I know it kind of sounds weird to me too. Seems like lots of ways to test, but anyhow, that's the way God chose. And 9,700 men go home, leaving Gideon with an army of 300. But now God is ready. He commands Gideon to attack the Midianite camp in the middle of the night. He says, I have given it into your hand. But now he knows Gideon. He knows he's going to ask for another sign. And so he says, if you're afraid to attack, to attack, go down to the camp, and I want you to listen to what the soldiers are saying down there. And so they sneak down to the camp, and they overhear one of the Midianite warriors tell about a dream that he just had of how God had given the whole Midian camp into Gideon's hand. And so Gideon's self-confidence begins to, to just soar, and he and his army of 300 attack the Midianites. They blow their trumpets. They light their torches. The Midianites fall into a panic, and they flee for their lives. And Gideon lives into his God-given name, Mighty Warrior, that the angel of the Lord had given him. Man, what a difference between the way God saw Gideon and the way uh, Gideon saw himself. And it's the same way for us, folks. We need to, to focus on who God says we are and not what we think about ourselves. You see, here's the truth, that God knows you. God knows you better than you know yourself. And like Gideon, too often we tend to focus on our own weaknesses, on our shortcomings, on our failures, on our limitations. But God is wanting to take our flaws and he wants to use our weaknesses for his glory. Church, that's the truth. Now, if Gideon lacked self-confidence, the other judge, Samson, has just the opposite problem. I mean, he sees himself as strong. He's this superhero with this amazing superhuman strength. But Samson is also one of the most morally flawed characters in the Old Testament. And his story begins in, in chapter 13. A, a man of the tribe of, of Dan named Manoah and his wife are unable to conceive. And so one day an angel appears and announces that she will become pregnant and bear a son. The angel gives Samson's parents instructions that the child to be born is, is to be a Nazarite. Now a Nazarite is simply a vow of dedication and there are three things that a Nazarite is to avoid. Anything uh, from, uh, from grapes, raisins, wine, whatever, doesn't matter. Secondly, they're to avoid ever touching a dead body, which in Samson's case is going to be quite a problem. And then thirdly, they're to avoid what? That's right. They're to avoid the barber, right? They're to avoid uh, haircuts. The Bible says that Samson grows up and, and that he grew and the Lord blessed him. And listen, the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. You see, God's anointing is on this man. God has great plans for him, but instead of pursuing God's purpose for him, Samson gives in to his pride. He gives in to his rage. He gives in to his anger. He gives in to his ego and the pursuit of pleasure. And what we'll discover is that it derails his life and it controls him. And it begins in chapter 14. 
He goes down to a village, and there he sees a, a Philistine woman, and he wants her. I mean, nothing else seems important to her like her character or her relationship with God. Uh, he sees her, and he says, man, she's a hot babe, and mom and dad, would you please get her for me? Character does matter to Samson's parents, and they do their best to talk him out of it. Hey, Samson, why don't you marry a nice Jewish girl, okay? Don't marry this Philistine. But like a lot of young men, he's not listening. And sometime later, he and his father go down for the wedding day. And Samson, he challenges his wedding guest to this game of riddles. And at stake were 30 sets of, of clothes for the winner, whoever won the bet. And they can't answer the riddle. And, and so faced with the loss, they, they pressure Samson's new bride to, to learn the answer and tell them. And so Samson's wife throws herself on, on Samson, and she's sobbing, she's crying. She says, Samson, you hate me. You don't really love me, or you would tell me the answer. And she cries for the entire seven days. What a great start to a new marriage. <laughs> and when he can't take the whining any longer, he tells her the answer. She tells it to the guests. Samson loses the bet, and he goes out and he kills 30 people and loots the corpses for these 30 garments to pay off his, his stupid bet. And the Bible says that he's so angry that he, he leaves his wife there and, and, and standing at the altar, and he goes home to live in his parents' basement for a while. Yeah, that's no new thing, you know. Not a new thing. Been going on for a while. Later, he goes back to find her to, and discovers that she's already been given away to another man. And so his marriage ends before it even begins. In fact, what we'll see consistently in this man's life is that his ego and his pride destroys all of his relationships. And pride will do that. You know, pride is the root of all of our conflict, all of our disharmony, all of our, our messed up relationships. Whenever we act out of pride, we, we, we tend to be demanding and we tend to be rude and we tend to be obnoxious. It never works. Well, Samson wants revenge. And so he burns the Philistines' fields by tying a torch to the tail of 300 foxes. Now, don't ask me why he does it that way. It seems like a lot more work, but that's what he does. And then the Philistines, they get revenge by burning his wife's home you see, Samson's out-of-control anger and, and pride result in the death of his wife and his family. But he's not done killing yet. He attacks them viciously, and he, he slaughters many of them. They come back with an army, and he kills a thousand of them with the jawbone of a donkey. Pride impacts every relationship that he has. And then he travels to Gaza. He spends, spends a night with a prostitute, which almost gets him killed. And then he falls in love with another woman, Delilah. He just kind of goes from one woman to the next. And he is, she is bribed by the Philistines, and she becomes a spy for them. They say to her, lure him into revealing the secret of his strength. Three times she, she asks him his secret, and three times he lies to her. And so finally, in desperation, she pulls out the big gun. She says, if you love me, you would tell me. Verse 16 says, with such nagging, 
She prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. And so he told her everything. And so while he sleeps at night, she shaves off his hair. His strength leaves him. She wakes him up, and he thinks to himself, oh, no problem. I've done this before. I'll go out and shake myself free from these Philistines. Except not this time. Three times Delilah tried to trick him, but he never learns because he thinks he's invincible. He thinks that he has it all together. He thinks he's Superman, but even Superman had his kryptonite, and Samson has his weakness as well. In verse 20, it says this, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. And I think that's some of the saddest words in the Bible. You see, he's so so prideful in his own strength that he, he doesn't even realize that God is no longer in his life. His strength was not so much in his hair as it was in his relationship with God. And so the Philistines, they put him in prison. And prison has to be a heck of a place to to learn some humility. But it's there that Samson seems to deal with his pride and he, he gets his spiritual life back together again. And as his hair begins to grow out, his, his supernatural strength comes back. And so one day, Samson is brought out of prison to, to entertain the crowd at this big religious festival. But nobody has noticed that his hair has grown back and, and his superhero strength with it. And with the help of a servant, he puts his hands on two supporting pillars of the temple. He pushes the pillars over, and the roof of the temple comes crashing down, the Bible says, killing Samson and 3,000 people with him. It's a sad, sad story. But there's two things that I want us to understand from this today, and then we'll wrap things up. And the first is this that God wants to use us for his purposes in the world despite our flaws, despite our past, despite the flaws of of Gideon and Samson, God chose to use them. And folks, that's the truth for us as well. We never know how God will use us. God uses people that we would uh, least expect, people with a history, people with a past to be leaders. And God does that. So maybe today you have a past. Maybe you come from a a dysfunctional family. Maybe you have messed up some relationships pretty badly. But it doesn't mean that God will not choose to use you. Because a look at these judges will prove otherwise. I mean, look, Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Paul was a persecutor of the church. It doesn't matter. God's desire is to use you. And the second thing that we learn from judges is that we need to be vigilant in our faith life. You see, too often, I'm afraid that we let our guard down, that we begin to make compromises, and then we find ourselves becoming slaves to things. We begin to coast. We begin to make small concessions. We we fail to keep God first, and then our days turn to weeks, and our weeks to months, and and our months to years. And you know you need to change. You you know you need to come back, but you can't seem to make it happen. And those old addictions come back. You, You return to your old ways. 
and you find yourself ashamed and humiliated. But God uses those moments to bring us back to him. We start back on that road to recovery. So here's what I do. Every night before I go to bed, I repent. <laughs> I ask God to show me those, those things in my life that did not honor him during the day. I, I pray a prayer uh, of King David's. It's found in Psalm 139. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And when I, pray that, when I pray that prayer at night, I always find two or three things that come to mind. Things that I said, things that I, that I thought, things that I shouldn't have done, things that I, I could have done and didn't. And I repent. Not that I'm trying to be perfect. I just don't want anything to get between God and me. And sometimes praying this prayer is painful, but it keeps me humble and it keeps me dependent upon God's mercy and upon his grace. You see, friends, like Deborah and like Gideon and like Samson, God put you here on earth not to just to live for yourself, but to live for other people. Listen to me, your greatest ministry will more than likely flow not out of your strengths, but it will flow out of your weaknesses. And so that thing that you're most embarrassed about, that thing that you're most ashamed of, that thing you don't want anybody else to know about, that thing that you want to hide, that thing that you want to put in a closet, that you want to push uh, out of your mind, that may very well be the thing that God wants to use to be a blessing to others. It may be the very thing that God wants to use to encourage others, to make a difference in this world. Don't be afraid to allow a bad past to, to stop your future. God wants to use you to be a blessing to others. Let's be a leader, amen? Let's pray. God, like um, the judges, we are flawed people. In fact, God, that seems to be our human nature. But in spite of their flaws, in spite of their past, in spite of their mistakes, God, you use these men and women to make a difference. And God, we believe that you can use us as well. And so come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us with your power. Give us your anointing. Show us, God, how a bad past doesn't have to impede our future. God, show us how you want us to be leaders in our community. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.